What is up, everybody? We are back after having a week or two off because you know Brett's got to get a couple of those last uh, last minute vacations in, you know, as, as Brett does. Today, we have a very special announcement. We have Nathan from the Draft Deeper podcast on with us. Nathan, how are you doing today, man? It's only fitting that, that, that I hop on with you boys and the fact that we do have a special announcement to make because I feel like this has been in the works for, for a long time. I know you guys were an inspiration for me starting my own podcast, to be perfectly honest with you, when I saw you three grouped together and the success that you guys started having in a short amount of time, I kind of looked at myself and I've wanted to do something in the media space with a lot of my draft work for a, a while. And it was kind of just like the right opportunity, everything going on with COVID. I felt like, you know, Ryan Rossillo even said it on his podcast, like if you're not looking to start something now while you have the time, then you're probably never going to start something ever. Dude, like the, 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 Yeah. That's awesome that you said that because I can tell you where I was walking my dog. And that's right after I heard that podcast, I reached out to Jacob and Brett and said, let's start a podcast. It was right after that. Yep. So it, it's only fitting that, that that we're here today. Steve, if you want to make the announcement, I'll let you make it, my man. Yeah, it, it's basically um, the overstated and draft deeper where we're joining forces. Um, we're, we're hoping to be on the, the same podcast feed. We're going to support each other. Um, and I mean, I'm happy to, to have Nathan on. I know Jacob and Brett are. Uh, it seemed like a uh, just a perfect fit for me. And I know I reached out to Nathan kind of privately just to just to gauge his interest and, and, and he was on board and we've collaborated in the past before. And I just think it's a no brainer. Nathan has done fantastic work. I mean, he's absolutely killing it on social media. I mean, he's been, he's had Chad Ford on, he's had David Thorpe on his podcast. I mean, he's, he's phenomenal. And you could tell that he knows what he's talking about. I go him for all the draft stuff. Um, I, I like to check out his work. I listen to his podcast. It's great. Uh, he's also going to be featured on our website, whenever he's got the urge to write something, he's going to have, you know, kind of carte blanche. And this is, this is a, this is a partnership. You know, he, he has his brand, we have ours, and it's just going to combine forces and we're all equal partners in it. And I, I can't uh, thank Nathan enough. Like I said, it, it seems like a, uh, a no brainer, man. So welcome, Nathan. Welcome. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I'm, I, I'm excited to, to join the team. And I think that's one thing I, I celebrate about having my own brand is that, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm like quote unquote signing a contract with anybody, right? Like I can bring my podcast over to you guys. We can join forces. We can merge. I know Draft Deeper is certainly going to be doing some other stuff in the writing space specifically as well. So if you are a fan of my show, like I said, we're going to try to merge feeds here. So my show should hopefully appear on the overstated NBA feed. Definitely stay tuned to my show to hear more announcements about that. But Draft Deeper is going to be in, in multiple places this year, boys. It's not just going to be my own little thing that, I, that I'm cooking anymore. I'm really excited to expand this to ha- however many avenues that I can. And yeah, joining joining forces with you guys over on the podcast side, that's just like a very logical first step for me. So I'm excited about it. And I've already had you guys on my podcast enough. I finally got fucking Steve on there. It's it's incredible. I finally got him on a podcast too, and I've been on your guys' show doing some draft stuff. But being able to collaborate a little more on a lot of NBA stuff, I think we're all excited about that front because it's not like I'm only watching college basketball during the year. So I, I, I'm excited to to do a lot more things with you guys and to to join forces. So thank you for having me. We're super yeah, it, excited. It's, just, it's, it's too good. It's way too good of a fit, and it, it makes it makes all the sense in the world. And I'm excited. I, I floated out an idea. Um, yesterday, who knows if it'll happen. It's just an idea. Maybe, maybe Steve and Nathan, maybe with some help from Jim, maybe we do a little gambling podcast. You never know, man. There's, there's, there's a lot that can go on here and, and it's great when we've got an awesome, 
awesome episode. We've got Brett here. We've got Jacob here. Um, it is about, well, it's about 5.45 there for, for uh, young Squire Jacob there in the, in the UK. But we are going to do best young cores today. Um, Nathan, Jacob, and Brett are going to give you their top five young cores. Per usual, I am going to be trolling. You'll probably hear a couple hashtag bucks and six. And I'm happy that Nathan's on once again. As Nathan said, I finally got on his podcast. And sure enough, I get on his podcast. Literally within two weeks, the Bucks win the NBA title. The so best good luck charm, I think. I think that's <laughs> why it happened. It might be, Nathan. It, it might be. So I'm excited. This, like I said, I, I can't contain my excitement. This has been in the works for a couple months now. And and it's awesome. So we're going to do a round robin. Um, I'm going to let um, Nathan, since you're – we just announced this. You're going to go first. We'll go – Brett next, and we'll have Jacob go third, and then we can kind of – I don't know if we'll do a snake draft. We'll kind of see how it goes, but we're doing top five NBA cores. Starting now, Nathan, why don't you – do you want to start with one, Nathan, or do you want to start with five and when we work our way down? Well, so, so I think before we even get to the cores, I think we all had a conversation about we, we need to lay the groundwork a little bit as to how we went about doing this exercise and why we're ranking these cores the way that I do. So I think we could – I'll start with giving my reasoning, and then we can probably go around in the same order and kind of just give our reasons before we jump into it. But just really quickly, when we talk about young cores, obviously there needs to be one or two – potential major building blocks in there. And then there needs to be depth within that young core as well. And pieces that I I think we're talking mainly about 24 and under. I think Jacob was in that same space as well. I have a few guys on here who I'll say who are technically 25 years old, but I still consider them either part of the young core or by playing experience. Um, they, They might still be like rookies or sophomores in the league. So that's why I'm technically still grouping them in. But also in grading the cores, and, and I'll be curious to hear if you guys have some of the same reasoning. When we talk about core, I'm trying to list off pieces that I think will be there pretty much for the long term. Like, I, I don't know if I'm spoiling anything for anybody, but like, I don't, I don't have the Orlando Magic anywhere close to my top five in this exercise, for example, because I don't know who's actually going to be on the team after like this year. Like, there are so many moving parts for a lot of these teams we can talk about. Where, yeah, the, uh, a team like Orlando, for example, might have like six or seven guys we can mention who are worthy of being in this exercise, but like five or six of them could end up being traded like by next year as Orlando starts to evaluate their roster and kind of make a direction for where they want to go. Some of these pieces might not fit either their timeline or the direction where they want to take the franchise. So that's really my reasoning behind where I rank these cores and, and who I have as part of my top five. I think definitely, you know, it's good to have a little bit of flexibility, like with the, you know, the specific ages, kind of for what the reasons you said, Nathan, because there could be guys that are like, you know, I've only been in the league two years, but they're 25, like somebody like a, um, you know, Cam Johnson or, or Brandon Clark or somebody like that. So, yeah, I, I don't have even all the ages in front of me. I was thinking like roughly 25 as like the max to be included in this, but I think 24 is probably more uh, what we actually consider young in the NBA. So I think that's probably a good sort of upper limit on these ages here. And it is interesting to, to think about like the term core, because I, I think that's a little bit ambiguous. It could be defined a few different ways. I tend to look at it as like a minimum of three guys, right? It could be a little more than that. And I don't think I would consider anything more than like five, really a core, because so I, I don't, that's just the way I've always looked at it is like three, four guys. So, and then, you know, there'll be sort of like auxiliary pieces that may or may not be there in the long term that may or may not have a big impact. But like I look at three guys that we know are going to be there, that we know are impactful. And when we're talking about young cores, 
yeah, probably 24 or younger with a few exceptions. Yeah, I went 24. The reason why as well is that, you know, in my kind of data research, 24 is generally when someone's prime starts, like, gen- like you know, Jordan's 88, LeBron's 2009. Like they become the best versions of themselves generally by that time. And then, you know, they, they improve a bit more and keep improving. And then Father Time eventually catches up with them. I was a bit more broad. Like I was like, you know, I'm just going to go through every team players who haven't hit their 24th birthday yet right do i think this guy can stick in the league if he can stick in the league i'll get him down and yeah minimum like three of those guys like at the bare minimum but you know if if a team like um you know orlando has like seven eight nine of those guys i'll write them down maybe they won't stick in the team but i'll write them down and then that's kind of that's kind of assets as well for a team like orlando for like an OKC Thunder where, yeah, maybe some of these guys I don't rate too highly, but maybe they are viewed as kind of assets. And with the young star talent that they have on their team, it can kind of be shaped around those players, assuming those players do develop with a waiting towards, you know, the more, the top end guys, your, you know, your Trey Youngs, your Lucas, your Ja Morantz, that type of thing, rather than say like a core, like, like the Washington Wizards have, an okay young group in like Gafford, Hachimura, Denny Avdia and like Corey Kispert maybe, but none of those guys project as like stars. So they're kind of out of the running straight away for me. I kind of weighed it like that. And then you have like, we were just talking about before the podcast, like that, that Bleacher Report article that had Dallas in their top 10 young cores. And it's like, so you're just counting Luca as a core unto himself like yeah. <laughs> i would say he's a young player that's very good but i don't think you can say that they've got a great young core just because they've got one great young superstar um and obviously poor zingas isn't and tim hardaway guys like that aren't going to meet our criteria for for young cores here so i i thought that was pretty funny that that they had dallas in there like what are we doing you got to have a few pieces i think for sure yeah definitely so i think number one if we want to start going around the table here in order. I think number one to me is pretty obvious. To me, it's the New Orleans Pelicans because Ooh. I think they have they, they have the best player on the board that I think we're going to talk about today in, in Zion Williamson. And if anyone wants to disagree with that point, I mean, sure, if we would have technically included Dallas in this exercise, which given Brett's um, comments, we all agreed with those comments in the chat that we weren't going to include Dallas. Luco could have technically been the best player in this conversation, but Zion, holy shit, guys, the, the year that he had last year. Um, I know when, when I was on Chad Ford's show, as, as Steve alluded to, we talked about the last three draft classes. We, we ranked who we think is going to have the best year next year. And, and Zion Williamson was far and away. Number one for the both of us, he averaged 27 points per game last year on 61% shooting 64.9% true shooting a 27 PER and you rate it out in the 92nd percentile in total offense. And the, the dude's a baby. He's still 21 years old. Like, what the hell is that going to look like, like three to four years down the road from, from, from today? Like, I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I know for a fact he's going to be in MVP conversations, and I would venture to say that he's definitely a likely candidate to be in top five player in the league conversations, absolutely, with – I, I think to me, he is the one guy on this list I think has a chance to be the best player in, in, in the NBA. So in, in my opinion, when you factor all of those things in, 
I think that just himself alone drags New Orleans up to the top of, of the young cores conversation. But then you still have Brandon Ingram, who is only 24 years old. He's certainly gotten better in multiple facets of the game. We were, we were always intrigued with some of his playmaking and some of his passing ability when, when he was out with the Lakers. And then he goes to New Orleans. He ups his scoring averages. He becomes a much more finished, much more comfortable finisher around the basket. Definitely improved in that area. Defensively, I think he's lost a little bit of that pizzazz that he had when he was with the Lakers. I still think he needs to reclaim some of that. But I also throw that in, you know, they, they haven't had a solid foundation from a coaching perspective. So that definitely hurts defensive effort and defensive potential. Obviously, a lot of that comes from coaching and having the right leadership in place um, and, and getting some Bulldogs playing with some of those guys on the court as well. So that factors into that. And then just three other names to, to throw out there when we talk about a core. I don't know if you guys got much of a chance to see Trey Murphy in Summer League. That guy, oh, yeah. that guy's the real deal. He's 100% the real deal. I know Chuck from, from Chuck and Darts, another uh, good draft podcast out there. I know that he was always high on Trey Murphy through the entire draft process this past year. But some of the shots he was able to make off the dribble, the arc that he shoots the ball at, like his size with his shooting mechanics, like he's not going to get a shot blocked at, at often, if honestly at all in the league. I'm really enthused by his offensive potential. And then defensively, he's another one of those six nine switchable wings. Like you're talking about a two through four right there, like Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, and Zion. That's going to be a potential nightmare for, for people to go up against just the pure size and the length, the physicality to have to deal with in that two through four. Um, Najee Marshall, he's only 23 years old still. I'm really glad with some of the shooting strides that he made in the summer league as well. I still think you talk to a lot of different people. I know Coach Thorpe and and um, Coach Pannone have, have definitely sung his praises a little bit on, on one of the recent True Hoop podcasts. They think that he can be a scorer in the league for years to come. And then Kyra Lewis. Kyra Lewis is still only 20 years old. I feel like he played two years at Alabama. I feel like I've been talking about Kyra Lewis for years, but um, it just goes to show how much growth he may potentially have. And yeah, he, he's got some work to do as far as being a point guard. But one of the most encouraging aspects I saw last year from Kyra was that when they did put the ball in Zion's hands and they ran a point Zion style offense, Kyra was the most willing cutter and mover without the basketball out of anyone else on the court. And given his blazing speed, he found so many easy opportunities to get buckets for that New Orleans offense within the half court setting. And then obviously you factor in his speed and what he could potentially be as a transition threat down the road. Like, yeah, I look at all five of those guys and I'm like, New Orleans has a lot of really, really good young talent. It's just about the other pieces they put around them and they need to find pieces that maximize that team's defensive potential. And that to me, that's going to be David Griffin's biggest challenge. They can score, they can score in bunches, but like they, they made the move. I know they had their eyes set on another point guard right there and they have Devontae Graham now coming over from the Charlotte Hornets, but like, he's not the long-term answer at the point guard position. I don't know if Kyra Lewis is the long-term answer at the point guard position. I don't know what their long-term answer ultimately is at center, either if, if Zion's just going to be like a point center or whatever the case may be, but they need to find ways to make sure that those core three that I outlined at the start improve defensively, and then they need to find two other really solid defensive pieces to put around them. And then we're talking about a team that could compete in the Western Conference. Yeah, man, I, I did see Trey Murphy at Summer League. I saw them once, I think, but he really stood out to me. He was probably my favorite player that I saw or the guy that impressed me most 
his jump shot is pretty flawless. He gets it off quick. He knows how to get to his spots. It's just a beautiful shot uh, in terms of mechanics, release, everything. He was a little bit longer and a little bit more athletic than I realized. He gets off yep. the ground a, a lot quicker than I expected him to. Uh, he had a couple of big dunks in the game I saw. And, and just his length really struck me. I think he's listed at 6'8". I'm not actually sure about his wingspan. I know, I know you probably know, but he just looked long. He looked, he looked probably more like six, nine with a seven foot wingspan. Like if I was just, you know, just looking at him. So yeah, that was an excellent pick. And I, I said somewhere either on the pod or on Twitter, I actually talked about him a little bit on our last podcast, but I think he could be like the Sadiq Bay of this draft class, a guy sort of drafted in that same range, who's maybe a lot more NBA ready than, than people realized who can just kind of do a lot of things, can play some defense, can shoot the ball, um, just sort of a mature player. Uh, and I think he's actually got a little more upside than, than Sadiq Bay. So that's, that's really exciting. And I do see him as sort of their third big piece of this young core. And then as far as Kyra, I'm going to be interested to see what that starting lineup looks like. I guess the assumption is that Devonte Graham will be starting at point guard. But with the increased ball handling responsibility that Zion had in the second part of last season and, and will have going forward, I do wonder if Kyra might be the better fit when you're kind of not asking him to be that full-time traditional point guard. Like you said, he's probably not quite ready for that. But with his speed, maybe he's the better complement to like a point Zion. I don't know. It'll probably be like a point guard by committee kind of thing with those two. I think they'll essentially split the minutes, but but we'll have to see. Um, I'm a huge Ingram guy. He just turned 24 like the other day, so he's still super young. And then as far as Zion, somebody was like talking about who's your pick to lead the league in scoring. And just kind of as a fun answer, I threw out Zion. But I really think he could maybe approach 30 points a game next season. I just don't see anybody stopping that kid. I think if he has the minutes uh, and the health, and continues to improve, add some things to his game, like 28, 29 points a game is certainly not out of the question, and that's going to come on extremely good efficiency. So I think he's primed for a monster season, for sure. Oh, I think he's going to average over 30 points per game. I don't know how much over 30 points per game, but I I think like a a two to two and a half points per game difference or, or uptick, like that's nothing for somebody who scores at the rate that he does. Right. And then you talk about how much better he's probably going to continue to get from the free throw line as well. Like I don't even need Zion bombing threes from the perimeter. Just just do do and show a lot of what Giannis did in this playoff run. Just be able to get to the line reliably and make your free throws when you're there. And that's the easiest way to uptake your scoring average by like four to six points per game. That's such a good point. Um, this is something I think about a lot and it's definitely come up with Ben Simmons and with Giannis where it's like everyone wants them to be shooting threes. They're like, oh, when's Ben Simmons going to shoot a three? Ben Simmons doesn't need to shoot threes. Neither does Giannis. They just need to make their free throws. Like so much of the problems that Ben Simmons runs into in the playoffs are because he can't make free throws and because he can't make free throws, he gets timid and it, it just sort of spirals out of control. And it's like, just worry about that. And yeah, Zion, man, if he could get up to like a 80% free throw shooter, at some point, I'm not saying this coming season, but like, yeah, that's a pretty easy boost to the scoring. And what was he at last year? You said like 27 something? 27, yep. Yeah, I mean, 30 would would be pretty easy, man, if he keeps up that efficiency and gets a little better at, at free throw shooting. It's crazy to think about, but I, I do think that's a pretty realistic expectation. So, Brent, what is, what is your number one core then? I guess we can move to you and then we'll hit Jacob. 
Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so I, look, I, I have a hard time ranking these things. Like I, just, I sort of have like the a Pelicans lo- after all a that. Loose, a loose, Pelicans? a loose top five. Well, I'm not. You know, <laughs> I, I think I said it's my my piece Pelicans? on the Pels. Let's go with Memphis. Uh, I think you know Jaw is probably going to be in the. I would say certainly one of the five best players we're going to talk about today. So you know, I think we got to look at them, and when we look at them, it's not just Jaw; it's Jaron Jackson Jr. as well. Those two right there represent a very intriguing young core going forward. Uh, and then obviously they've got some nice pieces surrounding them. When you look at potentially Zaire Williams, we'll see how he turns out. But then they've got a couple of those older guys that came in a little bit older, like Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark. They've still got DeAnthony Melton, who's probably a lot younger than than people realize. So that that's a really interesting team going forward and I guess the big question is like what what are they going to do with with Jaron Jackson Jr like I brought this up in our Facebook group last night you know a lot of people are saying they should hold off on extending him I'm of the belief that they should just commit to him and give him that max rookie extension give him that you know that Tatum money or whatever that Donovan Mitchell money like I think he's deserving of it based on his upside alone And we saw what happened with John Collins. It obviously worked out okay for the Hawks and for Collins, but he wanted that extension before the season and they couldn't agree on one. And it sort of hung over the team throughout the season. And I think Memphis would want to avoid that and just just commit to Jaron Jackson. I know he's had some injuries. Uh, He's missed, I think, almost half the possible games uh, he could have played in his first three seasons. But at the same time, like the injuries probably aren't as bad as people make it out to be. Like I know he got shut down uh, his rookie year with like a thigh contusion, not a major injury. Uh, you know, they're just being cautious. And then with the meniscus, when he hurt that in the bubble, I think he missed more time than he probably needed to. I think he could have come back in like January. That would have been more the standard timetable for that injury. But they kept him out, understandably. Um, to play it safe but then when you look at the total picture it's like oh my god this guy can't stay on the floor all he does is get injured and it's like nah people talk about him like he's Zach Collins with the injuries he's not it's not like that and he came back from the meniscus uh, no worse for the wear there was obviously some rust some conditioning issues some timing issues but he looked sound so that's not as big of a concern for me going forward and the other big knock on Jaron is his fouling uh, issues. He he commits quite a few fouls. That's been a problem for him since he's been in the league. I think with him, he just needs to get stronger and those fouls will come down. Um, I think a lot of those fouls are the product of him just not being strong enough. To stay he can't vertical. hold anybody in front of him. That That's his problem. And so yeah. if you back him down yeah. far, far enough, like eventually Jaron's like, all right, I, I got to hack this guy or else he's just going to keep getting up easy twos on me. So it, exactly. And you see that a lot with these, you know, young big guys like, uh, you know, Mitchell Robinson, um, Daniel Gafford, guys that just rack up these fouls when they kind of are first coming into the league. And part of it's just like a sort of lack of um, defensive IQ and technique. And then part of it is also the strength like Jaron needs to be able to stay vertical after absorbing contact and i think that will that will come in time so i'm not too worried about like the two biggest knocks on him that people bring up um i just think he's a kid that in in 2019 20 shot just about 40 percent on six and a half three-point attempts per game as a seven foot 20 year old like who does that that's crazy uh i think his skill set is just absolutely perfect for the modern NBA. And while he's not without his flaws, he does a lot of the things that you'd love to see a young big do. And again, he's he's only 21 still. I think he turns 22 maybe in later this month or in October, but he's he's an extremely young player. And I think they just need to just need to have some faith in him because it's like if you, you know, not that 
not offering him an extension is, is like giving up on him or anything. Like they could do the John Collins thing where they let the season play out and then pay him after the season. Uh, although John Collins didn't quite get that max, but, but he got a nice payday. So they could do that. But again, I just don't think they want that hanging over their season. I think Jaron's on another level than John Collins. Uh, and I think he's a guy that you just want to lock up and just show that you're committed to right away because they're a small market team. When you have a guy like that, you got to go all in on him. That's the way I see it. So that that's a big part of it. And then we all know Ja. <laughs> I don't need to say too much about him. Mm-hmm. Um, just a spectacular player. I, definitely one of the best young players in the league. I think he's right there with Trey Young on that level uh, in that tier of, of players. And I'd probably give Trey a slight edge, but he's right there. So just between those two, and I like the building blocks they have. I like the culture they have uh, around them. I think the future is really bright in Memphis. I just hope that they really that they know what they have in Jaron and um and lock him up long term. I think that's super important and needs to be their priority right now. And and I do think they'll get it done before the season starts. If if I had to guess. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's it's worth noting about Memphis is well, if we. Fast forward a year to the M- the next NBA Finals, John Morant, Jaron Jackson, Tillman, Desmond Bain, and Zaire Williams will all still be twenty four or under. So it's a young young team. Like, and when we look at the players they have, like DeAnthony Melton, like you said, Desmond Bain, uh, Xavier Tillman, these guys already kind of fit roles on good teams. They already have whether they're going to have you know star you know, Brandon Ingram, upside, whatever, most likely not, but they already give positive value to these teams. And Memphis is continually finding these guys around um, John Morant, who, like you say, I agree. I think he's going to be one of the best players in the league going forward. Hopefully what happened last year was just a sophomore slump and we will see the improvements that we kind of expected after the rookie year to come in I think I'd bet on it and um, yeah Jaron Jackson is a more interesting case just like you say the injuries he's not a Zach Collins but I don't know if I'm I'm still on the fence whether I would offer him a max extension at this moment I think I would have to be kind of in the franchise in the front office feeling out like what's the feeling about Jaron Jackson like do the team love him how how hard is he working you know seeing him in recovery like how's he doing like if though if all those things were really good then absolutely but you yeah, know but those who are else are they going to get like, jacob that's the thing like who who else are they going to get who's comparable to jaron jackson's talent level like i know brett did a really good job of outlining where he's at right now where he can get in the future but like still his his skill set and his size is so unique like one of the things that always draws me to watching a player like Shea Gilgis Alexander is how slippery he is as a mm-hmm. guard. Jaron Jackson has some of that as like a 6'11 big man. Um, but, everything he can do off the dribble, his potential is already one of the best stretch bigs in the league. Like he, he could, he's another guy who is scoring as long as he's healthy could take a nice jump pretty easily just by him being more available on the floor. So like the fact that he's only 21 years old, like, I just know how you don't offer him a max extension. I know all the injury concerns, but like when you're a team like Memphis, it's one thing if you're in a big market and you had to make this decision, but in a market like a Memphis or an Atlanta, like you kind of ultimately just have to give these guys the money because I don't know how else you're really going to replace that talent level. I don't disagree with that, but it's that if he doesn't play, 
then then the answer is literally anything else would be better to spend that money on because you're just it's like clay thompson like clay thompson's contract probably the worst contract because he's literally given you no value and he's been paid two years of a max deal like that's that's worse than like russell westbrook or john wall and that's the worry that what if jaron zaxon only plays 20 games next year and yeah looks but there's no reason out- to think that there's no reason to think he'll only play 20 games i mean he's so young and, and again he came back from the meniscus like he played i think 11 games like he played in the playoffs like again he was rusty but he was healthy he had a long time to recover like i just like Zion had a meniscus, you know, I just, I'm not, I'm just not worried about that uh, too much. And and like I said, the other big chunk of time he missed was like a thigh bruise. So it's like, it's not like he's had like multiple Jones fractures on his right foot as a seven footer. (laughs) Like it's not like the Embiid concerns or the Zach Collins concerns. Like I just, I can't lump him in with guys like that right now. And, um, and yeah, Nathan, I'm glad you brought up his, what he can do off the dribble. That's probably the thing that does impress me most, maybe even more than his shooting or his uh, elite rim protection ability. And he was really coming into his own in that sense uh, toward the end of 2019, 20, even in the bubble uh, up until he got hurt. I was just blown away by how, you know, how he could attack a closeout. It's like when you have to close out on a guy who's seven foot and he can then put it on the floor and take it, take it to the hole. Like there are not many guys who can do what he does. And, and again, yeah, when you're a small market team, like you just have to know that you've got a unicorn here and yeah, there's a little bit of risk in terms of injury, but man, I think as long as he's healthy, he's going to really develop into one of the, one of the better bigs in the NBA. I mean, he, he can really shoot the ball. It's not just like he can occasionally step out, like, like he can really shoot it and and shoot efficiently at, at a high volume and, and he's a legit seven foot now um i just think the sky's the limit with that kid and i think he's going to be one of the more uh, i think he is one of the more slept on players heading into next season considering just how good he can be if he's healthy and he is healthy you know i just think you have to be a little more optimistic with that like yeah you have to assume he's going to play jacob do you have a do you have a different number one team than than red or i i do actually oh so my the- god the guys we named, so Pelicans, I had second. Um, Memphis, I had fourth. I also so, Memphis four. Oh, that's that's good. So so we've actually just hit, and I, I assume Brett had the Pelicans in his top five. I'm, gonna, I'm just oh, going to yeah. assume that. So so we have already hit on, we all had two of the same top five. My number one, which I am shocked, color me shocked, that no one else had number one because for me it was like the clear as day answer the atlanta hawks they're number two for me so we're close so yeah like for me it's just and it's not just the talent because i agree like you look at someone like the pelicans you have zion who i agree i think he is going to be the best player we talk about this episode quite clearly and has the highest upside and ingram you know top five top 10 top 15 whatever he is like no other team i think has a number two like the Pelicans have, but the Hawks have a team. And that's something I value here is that I look at their young players, Trey Young, Collins, Hunter, Reddish, Herter, Okongwu. Uh, they just drafted um, Jalen Johnson as well, who I'm not going to worry about too much because that's a bit more of an X factor. Same with most of these draft picks. But that whole team, I can like see them in roles in a roster together. And that's something that I can't see as much with maybe like a um, like an Orlando or maybe like a Golden State Warriors or something who have good young cores but don't have 
the players that, that fit into roles. Like someone like Kevin Herter is maybe the fifth best guy in Atlanta's young core. And he's already like a sixth man level player, which is just, it's amazing. You look at uh, DeAndre Hunter before his injury last year, and he looked like he'd taken the jump to being a legit 3 and D wing player. John Collins, we've already talked about, has a lot of really good upside as a scoring big he's he's been one of the best scorers statistically since he came into the NBA and obviously Trey Young probably the second best guy we're going to talk about here and probably has the second best upside maybe of the guys we're going to talk about here and we've already seen him in the playoffs we've already seen that his game does translate he's already if not one of the five to ten best offensive players in the league he's probably going to be that next year whether you know I have um, problems about his defensive shortcomings to me this Hawks team there's already been some proof of concept even though I think the conference finals was a step above where they actually were last year I think you know that's down to them just getting lucky in a seven game series against Philly I think that they're probably most people have them like between the fourth and the sixth seed in the east next year that's not something I think we can say about a team like the Pelicans and Memphis and yes they're in a harder conference but just them getting into the top eight would be impressive whereas for Atlanta if they come sixth that might be seen as a disappointment for them like for me this team is very clearly currently the best team and going forward is probably going to be the best team for another couple years with guys who already fit roles and we already have kind of proof of concept that they are good NBA players. Whereas for guys like Kira Lewis Jr. or Trey Murphy III, yes, we can project them forward, but it's still there's still variance in their results. And I don't see that so much with the Hawks. And for me, that certainty put them pretty safely number one. Yeah, they got to be in there. They're, I mean, they're definitely in, in my top five as well. And yep, they they proved it, man. They, like, they've already accomplished a lot together. And that goes a long way. That's something that they're really going to carry forward with them they've got that that conference finals dna now uh in that team and that's going to be huge for their continued growth i think they definitely uh are a little bit crowded it's a great problem to have but they're going to have to make some decisions going forward you know when you've got bogdanovich and herder and, and not that bogdanovich is in this young course conversation but he is there and then they've got cam reddish and they've got deandre hunter and then you've got a kongwu and collins and capella up front like they're they're just loaded they've got more above average nba players than any other team in the league i think that was the case last season i think that's the case going in to this season um especially if some of these young guys can continue to develop so it's a good problem to have but i think they'll have some decisions to make i, I think it, I, Cam Reddish, I think, might end up somewhere else. Uh, I think there are other teams that are probably intrigued by his upside the way that I am. And, um, you know, if he's taking a back seat to Hunter there, maybe he's a guy that they look to to move on from. And and I, I'd like to see it. I, I think he really could use a change of scenery, but also he could really help them too um, if he can sort of find the right role, maybe playing some four. I'm not sure what that would look like, but there's no doubt about his talent. Um, yeah. They're really something. It's it's pretty awesome to watch what they're building in Atlanta. I respect everything they've done tremendously. So I think as far as the guys we can talk about for Atlanta in this conversation, Trey Young, John Collins, and to me, I think DeAndre Hunter are probably the three guys that we know are likely to be there long term. We list mm-hmm. off all of the other players, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, and Yekka Kongwu, Jalen Johnson, Shreve Cooper, they all belong in this conversation because they are technically a part of those young guys 
whether they use all of those assets and maybe another draft pick or two to bring in somebody like a Bradley Beal. I know Chad Ford brought that up like that. I, I agree with that. And, and Coach Thorpe talked about that as well. Like that trade is out there. I think that trade could be legitimate. Like if Brad wants to leave Washington, why wouldn't he want to go to Atlanta to, to play with those guys? They already made a run at the Eastern Conference Finals. Like those guys are ready to continue winning games. The East is going to be tougher as long as everybody is healthy this year than it was last year when you saw multiple teams break down because of injuries. But yeah, those, those guys alone, I mean, we know what Trey Young and John Collins can do. And I'm glad you mentioned DeAndre Hunter um, and, and you were talking about his impact because I read off some numbers of DeAndre Hunter. I think defensively, he is far and away the best player that, that we can talk about today. And I'll read you off some synergy percentiles just to, to back up my case for, for your audience in case your audience doesn't look, look through synergy as often as I do and, and look at some of this stuff. I pulled some of these numbers for my podcast with Chad, but he was in the 94th percentile in total defense. He was in the 79th percentile in defending the ball handler and pick and roll. He was in the 80th percentile defending spot ups, 97th and handoffs as well as defending the role man in pick-and-roll situations, 93rd on jumpers, 96th around the basket, 90th defending catch-and-shoot looks, and the 88th percentile defending all jump shots off the dribble. There's literally no weakness defensively in that man's game, and that is that is absolutely impressive and absurd when you consider how young he is, still at only 23 years old. So those three guys alone get you to number two in this conversation, but I agree with you, Jacob. It's more of a depth thing, like, I don't even know if Trey Young and John Collins are like the next two guys that I would definitely say are the best in my tiers behind Zion, but they, they, they just have an embarrassment of riches. And that's why to me, they're, they're number two, but I, I didn't rule them out for number one, Jacob. I, I could have also made that switch and I could have put them in number one, but I just wanted, I wanted to reward Zion for, for that spot. But yeah, that, that has, that has us covered. So, I mean, I think Brett has a number two team then that we haven't talked about, right? Yeah, they might really be my number one, actually, as well. I just was kind of excited to talk about Triple J, so I jumped the gun and went to Memphis. What's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to another episode of the Overstated NBA Show. I just want to remind everybody this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped.com is where you can get all your stuff. Use promo code OVERSTATED. You get 20% off. You get free shipping. I sound like a broken record. I've said this many times before. Manscaped has changed the game for me. Not only does the razor, it can go in the shower. It's got a cool light on it, but the ball deodorant. Who doesn't love ball deodorant? Your your armpits need it. Your balls need it as well. It's awesome. You smell great. There's no chafing. It's just awesome, man. And I promise your significant other will love it too. So again, go to manscaped.com, type in promo code overstated. You get 20% off plus free shipping. All right. Now back to the episode. Let's talk about the Celtics. Yeah, they're they're my number three. I mean, so there you go. J- Jalen Brown is still only 24. Tatum is 23. And then I would say the other piece of that young core is Rob Williams. And I, you know, I don't have it in front of me right now, but he's probably what, 22? Uh, so Rob, I would Rob say Williams is 23. 23. Okay. So Jay, yeah, the Jays and Rob Williams, man, that right there, you know, we could talk about, about Neesmith and, and maybe Langford and, and fast PP, but like, I think that's the, the core right there. And we all know about the Jays. Here's why that's so valuable to me though. Uh, when we look at positional scarcity in the NBA, uh, what positions most valuable, it's pretty much those guys. Two-way wings with athleticism. Guys that are, are, are pluses on defense and, and big pluses on offense. And to have those kind of guys as your two best players, 
I mean, this was a lot of the appeal to me with the Clippers and why I've gotten sort of sucked into um, picking them like the last couple seasons was just that their two best players are these two-way wings, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are sort of a, a different version of that. But um, but I think that in itself gives them a little bit of a boost when we're talking about young cores is just having your two best guys be those type of players. And again, we, like I talked about on our uh, uh, the last part of the one before it, Jacob, where it's like, like, I don't think people are accounting enough for the improvement that these guys are going to continue to show in the coming seasons when we're looking at projecting the Celtics going forward, where everyone's kind of like, oh, they were, you know, they, they had a bad season last year. Yeah, maybe they'll be a little bit better, but they're not going to be great. And it's like, man, the, all the factors that, you know, we all know about why the Celtics had a tough season last year. But you got to look at at just how much better Jason Tatum's going to be. He's going to be a lot better than he was. That's just how it goes. That The sky's the limit for those two, really. And then Robert Williams, man, like I think he could be in the most improved conversation, like based on some of the stuff that he showed last season. He's another guy just kind of got to get the fouls down, got to get a little under control. But I mean, I think he's phenomenal. I think he he could be like an all defensive level player next year. It sounds crazy to say, but like if Rob Williams ends up on the all defensive second team, I will not be surprised. I think he's one of the best shot blockers, maybe the best shot blocker, not necessarily the best rim protector. Cause I think rim protection, you know, encompasses more than just shot blocking. Like we're just talking about shot blockers. Uh, he, he might be the best in the game. I, I, I forget the stat, but I read something about his block percentage where it's like, like maybe the highest of all time. Uh, but he's he's an athletic freak, and I think he's just sort of coming into his own. And that team has shown success. They've been the Jays have been to the conference finals. Like they've had playoff runs. They've had some really good seasons. Um, they've pretty much had nothing but success since they've been together. So I think we need to factor that in as well. They've got a proven track record, and they've also sort of got some of that playoff DNA that they can carry forward with them, sort of like the Hawks uh, garnered this season. So. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're probably my real number one because those guys are both established all-stars, could both give you 25, 26 points a game, no problem. Tatum could maybe scrape 30 next year. And then, uh, and I think Rob Williams is kind of a wild card, but I think we can all agree his upside is tremendous as a rim protector, as a role man, as a lob finisher. He, he does a lot of that stuff better than just about anybody. I think this is this is really the year that we need to see something from Robert Williams. And, and I agree with you, Brett. He definitely propped the Boston Celtics up when I was doing these rankings. We can talk about Brown and, and, and Tatum. And I think either of those guys, in my opinion, have a, a right to be in the conversation for best player on this list out, outside of Zion Williamson. Um, but, but Robert Williams, it, it's funny you bring you bring him up. So you guys would probably be surprised to hear that he was in the 98th percentile in terms of total offense last year per synergy because he was that efficient of a scorer around the basket. He was in the 94th percentile finishing on cuts, 82nd percentile on putbacks, 85th uh, percentile finishing in transition, and the 74th percentile as a role man. So he clearly has an efficient offensive role he can play for the Boston Celtics, which, yeah, they don't have another big man finisher on the roster like him. And then Brett, you mentioned some of the defensive stuff. Yeah. He is really good defending around the basket. He was in the 83rd percentile um, defending around the basket, the 80th percentile defending um, the big man in pick and roll situations. The problem is, is when you get him outside of the paint, he just does not know what he's doing. That that's really the issue. 
And that could be what potentially limits playing time or limits him playing in different situations for the Celtics next year. But to have that level of a finisher around the basket for that team offensively, when everyone will pay so much attention to the level of um, perimeter shot creators that they have on that team. And you talk about Brown and Tatum and even Peyton Pritchard to an extent. Now they got Shooter in the mix. Like eventually too many guys are going to leak out and they're not going to be around the basket at the right time. And Robert Williams is going to get so many more easy finishes because of as long as those guys are on the floor period, there will just be so much attention outside of the paint elsewhere. But yeah, like, like Jason Tatum, he probably is, in my opinion, I think he is the best guy in this list uh, outside of Zion. And I think he can be in the long term. And he's another guy, in my opinion, that can probably challenge for an MVP award down the road, as long as everything goes well for him, his how good of a scorer he is offensively, and then his defensive improvements as well. He's he's also one of the be- the better defensive players on this list. So when when you have two guys like that, not even in their primes yet, it's really Boston's whole issue. And Jacob, I, I know that you you can speak to this as well, but really Boston's whole issue is they haven't found the right supporting cast to go around those two guys. Like they've done the hardest thing of finding the the 1A and then 1B who can maybe win you a championship, but they have not filled out the rest of the roster properly around those guys. And and, and I think that Brad Stevens will take good steps to do that, but I'm always going to be more curious about the other guys that they put around those two. One name I'll, I'll throw out there, I know he's only on a two-way contract right now for Boston, but they did bring in um, Sam Hauser this year. And he absolutely lit it up in summer league. I thought that he had a chance to be an early second round pick, or at least I would have been comfortable potentially taking him that high. He's another guy who's on the older side, but some of his synergy percentiles last year in college that no matter where he's shooting the ball from, that man is an outside bucket and Boston just needs more perimeter shooting wherever they can get it. And I think Sam Hauser, if we're talking about some of these guys like a Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, um, some of those other guys they have at like the back end of the rotation, like I, I can make an argument Sam Hauser should play minutes ahead of all of them because I think he's the type of offensive talent that they need. So Boston definitely has a lot of pieces in tow, and it will really just be about roster construction moving forward. Now, this is probably going to be surprising, but there's a very good reason for it. I didn't have Boston in my top 10. That's Uh-oh. because I was very strict on the age limit. So Jalen Brown wasn't considered. Oh my so, god! So it basically came down to yeah, you had Tatum, Robert Williams, and a few you know marginal players like Fast PP, the Goat, Aaron Lee Smith, Romeo Langford, and yeah, like if if I thought that um, Boston were going to come up in this conversation, which I didn't, um, I would have definitely not said like Trey Young's the second best player we're going to talk about because. Tatum is absolutely a step above either one. Trey Young, I think right now he's better than Zion, honestly. I think Zion next year could probably take a jump above Tatum, or Tatum could keep improving and take a jump above him. But yeah, I think Tatum is right now the best player. I think he's the actual best player we're going to talk about today. I I do too. Yeah, and yeah, because of how much you can do. I'll like, be on the guy. island with that one. I, I think Zion's better than him, but I'll be on the island for that one. I might it's agree not, with you. I, I wouldn't rule out me agreeing with you Like by this time next year. like I don't know what Zion's going to do this year. It could really be crazy, but I, I'm I'm still I, – because I have Tatum as like 
I don't know, like the 11th or 12th best player in the NBA. Like I'm really, I'm yeah. a real big Tatum guy. So, so Jacob, even if we weren't counting Jalen Brown, you, you should have expected that I was going to bring up the Celtics, man. <laughs> I'm so high. And Nathan, like you brought up the, like the, the, the pieces, the supporting cast, like they've actually to a, a pretty large degree reshaped their roster around the Jays uh, this season. It's been a lot of kind of subtle moves, but like, but I do like what they've done. And I think this might finally be it. When you look at Marcus Smart playing point guard, like I love the idea of that. And then you look at, at Hauser. I think like they've always needed shooting. So between him and Neesmith like that, they might get what they've always needed. And then they also brought in Juancho Hernan Gomez. And, um, you know, he didn't really play much uh, this past season. He had COVID. He had kind of a tough year in Minnesota. But but uh, the no, that's a sneaky year, good move. I've, I've always mm-hmm. liked Juancho. Well, and, and you know, yeah. they, they need forward depth. They always have. And that's what he provides. And he also provides some shooting. He shot the three ball really well in 2019-20 after coming over to Minnesota from Denver. Uh, I think on about five attempts a game, he was over 40% shooting the three. So if he can do something resembling that for Boston as sort of like their, you know, their primary reserve forward, that could low key be be big for them. So I I do like the little moves they've made. Somebody on Twitter described it as 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 Brad Stevens is just hitting singles one after the other. And I think that's a good way good way to put it, man. Just lots of solid moves. Nothing major, but I think it's going to add up to be a, a really good team. Um you guys know I'm I'm super high on them coming in, but uh yeah, they 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 had to be on my list. There was no question. I, I think Jacob, way. I think we need to keep working down your list because like I have New Orleans, Atlanta, Boston, and Memphis. Like that is my order for one through four, but I think we're still missing a few teams so from you. So you've yeah, you've we are hitting on all your picks, which is good. That's that's good. That we're hitting on you considering this is your your um area of specialty, the young players <laughs> that have just come in. Like these are all guys that you've scouted recently. So, you know, that's it that's that speaks well of our process, but I actually, my third team has yet to be named and I'm kind of surprised. I imagine you both, if you don't have them, then I imagine they were very close. I'm kind of shocked that I'm the one to bring them up around you two. And that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> I have, they, did, they did not make my five, but trust they me, they didn't. are, they're, they're like my best. I think they're my best honorable mention in, in my, they're my favorite honorable mention. I should yeah. Say yeah. Best. They were French for me. They were French for me. They're right there though. Because I thought, like, when I was laying this all out, I thought the Cavaliers outside of maybe Atlanta and maybe Memphis, they have the clearest, like, young player at every role, a good yep. young player at every role. Like, you know, the only one I'm not too sure about is, like, Colin Sexton as the two guard. But outside of that, like, Garland, Akuro, Mobley, and Jarrett Allen, that's straight, that's like the one through five apart from the two. And Sexton, you know, can play the two as well. It's just maybe he's the one you'd like to move on from in that roster. But you look at like Garland projects as potentially a really strong offensive point guard. Okoro, we'll see how he develops. But I mean, defensively, he's already one of the best wings in the league. I think Evan Mobley, obviously, we know um, you were talking, I think, Brett, about how what Jaron, what we project Evan Mobley to be is kind of what Jaron Jackson is yeah, more than that, which but is like, like a, yeah, I just mean yeah. like Jaron's like Jaron can, can already do like, I don't know, 80% of like, I think what, like our ultimate version of Mobley is Mobley can pass the ball, like in a way that Jaron can't, um, he probably projects as a better overall defensive player. I think he's a little bit higher IQ player. Like, you know, Nathan, you definitely could, uh, explain that better than me, but, but yeah, I mean, 
like he's like Jaron plus like his ultimate version, the shooting, the, the rim protection, all that. Yeah. And outside that, and obviously Jarrett Allen is just an awesome um, run, like run jump center. That's, that's a great pick. I mean, Jarrett Allen, one of the best shot blockers outside, obviously yeah, Robert Williams, who you named earlier, Jarrett Allen is an awesome young center. I just, I, I think every young player they have in that core, I can see like, I can project that forward and I can see a very clear role for them on great teams. And there aren't many rosters where I could do that. There were teams like um, OKC or Orlando where I think they have more great young players, but there's some of them, I I, I don't know what their role is on a great team. Whereas for someone like Jarrett Allen, you, you absolutely know what his role is. For someone like Akuro, you know what his role is. Even someone like Sexton, is like already a very very punchy scorer on the perimeter. Like I just for me this this roster I I was shocked how good I think the Cavaliers young depth is. Like five deep real talented players and we'll see how they hopefully they run them all out together because you can run their entire youth setup together at once. I would love to see that and I would love to see them lose a ton of games and you know get Chet Holmgren next year or something like I would love to see that but yeah I I think this um this Cavaliers roster is one of the deepest maybe not the most top heavy but one of the deepest um youth movements in the NBA right now so whether they move on from Colin Sexton or not that can certainly be a conversation it seemed like all of the all of the indications this offseason were that they were going to do a trade with them but they never did um, they, they do bring in Ricky Rubio in, in the backcourt to kind of help some of those younger guys. I, guys, I'm not, I'm not sold yet still on Darius Garland. I'm, I'm, that, that's really the main thing that held me back from including Cleveland in the top five because people look to, you know, if you go back and watch some of the tape, you could see some improvements in how Garland was operating the offense, but his efficiencies still were not there. He was in the 32nd percentile in terms of total offense and the 14th percentile in terms of total defense. So on both ends of the floor, he's still not anywhere close to where he needs to be for me to say, okay, you're definitely the starting point guard for this team in the future. Like I still think that there's one more move to be made for them to get like a legitimate captain of that team in the backcourt. I think Rubio, they, they bring in Ricky Rubio, whether he ends up getting like moved at some other point in the season, but I think they at least bring him in the training camp in the start of the year to, to sort of help evaluate those two young guards and to kind of point to point in the direction and say, all right, one of these guys, you should definitely keep one of them. Or if neither of these guys is it, you got to move on from the both of them. Then I think that's, I think that to me, is a big reason why Rubio's there. He's held, there to help mentor them, see how far they can continue to grow and kind of point and say, all right, this kid's either going to make it or he's not. So that's their main weakness. But yeah, as far as their, their front line, Jacob, I, they have their front line for the future. They have Okoro, Mobley, and Allen. That, that's locked in. That's what are arguably a, a pretty picture-perfect three through five as long as Okoro keeps improving his catch-and-shoot offense. And then two other guys that they have on, on the bench, Dylan Windler, He's 24 years old. When he's healthy out of Belmont, he is a lights-out shooter from three-point range. And then they still have Lamar Stevens there. And and Lamar Stevens could – I don't know if it's going to be for Cleveland, but for somebody I think he's going to be a really good bench contributor. I, I remember going to scout and see Lamar when he was in high school at Roman Catholic in Philly. I, I went and scouted him at Penn State, and now I saw him 
out at summer league and his physical transformation is, is, is absurd. Like he, he probably is the, the best pure raw athlete in the NBA that zero people will talk about because they just don't know who he is because he hasn't found a legitimate role in the NBA yet. But Cleveland has so many interesting and fun young names that if it all comes together, it could be great. But yeah, I'm not sold at, at, on Garland at point guard. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Garland guy. I certainly like him more than Sexton going forward. Um, at now I was not after Garland's rookie year. I, I was not sold. Um, but after last season, he looked a lot better. I know his rookie year, he was still kind of coming off that ACL. Um, he looked a lot quicker in his second season, a lot better. But yeah, some of the efficiency uh, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, he still has a long way to go, but he is super young. So like, if I had to choose between the two, I'm keeping Garland, and I'm gonna try to make him my starting point guard uh, long term. I think he can do that. And I would I would definitely move on from Sexton. I'm I'm not a big Sexton fan. I just I just don't love his game. I respect how hard he works. I respect how hard he plays. He's improved a lot. He's definitely proven me wrong already. Um, because I was pretty low on him coming in, but but I, I still don't think he quite fits in. Um, a guy that we haven't mentioned, uh, I guess because he's 24 now, is Lowry Markinen. But you know, I'm kind of thinking like 24 and younger for mine. So I'm even uh, putting him in there. I think I'd probably have them like fifth on my list now that I look at it now, but uh, his shooting should help them a lot. I think that's really what they've needed. And I'm glad you brought up Windler. I like him a lot. He's just had some injury problems, Um, but not only does he shoot the ball real well, uh, he rebounds it really well too. That always impresses me when I watch him. He's a surprisingly good rebounder, just a nice player to have out there, a positive contributor. It'll be interesting to see how their front line sort of shakes out this year. Do they, do they bring Mobley off the bench? Do they bring Markinen off the bench? And then I'm curious to see, how much responsibility Okoro has in terms of playmaking this season. They certainly let him do it at summer league. They gave him a lot of rain. Um, and some of the stuff was, was pretty impressive. I, I think he's going to surprise people this year uh, with his offense. I think he's a little bit further along than people might expect. I think he's going to really show some strides this season while continuing to be a, a fantastic defensive player. And yeah, man, Lamar Stevens, I saw him at Summer League too. I saw them twice. They were one of the few teams I actually saw twice. I didn't watch as much basketball as I I normally do at Summer League, but I did see Cleveland twice. And man, he just pops with his athleticism. Uh, In one of the games I saw, he was definitely like their their best player. I mean, he was, he looked unstoppable at times. He looked like a man amongst boys. Um, So yeah, I'd I'd like to see him stick there long-term. I think he could be a real nice piece for them. And I agree, man, they're just one piece away. And that's where I would like to see the a Sexton trade happen. Um, but I would be thinking more like, like a small forward, maybe, you know, like another wing, like a two or three, like a, like a bit, like a wing that could play the two or the three uh, next to a Coro that might provide a little bit more shooting. I think that should be what they're targeting going forward. But as far as like depth of core, when you're talking about, you know, five, six high quality young players, especially if you're including marketing, they're certainly uh, one of the deepest, maybe second only to to Atlanta in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I do think if you, like you say, if they can bring in a two or a three who is maybe a bit more defensively minded than someone like Colin Sexton, who isn't at all, then I do see it with, with Garland, with his ability to navigate the pick and roll. Like he doesn't draw fouls. That's, to me, the big detraction from Darius Garland because I think he's a really good passer he's a good shooter I think he's going to continue to develop as a kind of offensive hub but if he can't draw fouls then maybe someone like Devontae Graham is closer to like what his ceiling actually is than you know that next level of a real kind of offensive juggernaut player 
But if he can break through that, if he does have that kind of upside, and then you have a 3 and D 2-3 next to him, you have Okuro developing his shooting, you have Evan Mobley, you have Jarrett Allen, that is like the perfect lineup to utilize a really strong pick and roll point guard who can shoot and cover up for his defensive kind of liabilities as well. So I, yeah. I, I like the way the Cavs are going. And, and honestly, like, I think sometimes when we talk about this, like, for instance, like the Cavs bringing in a guy like that, like a two, three, a, a wing that can shoot and play some defense. Like, I think sometimes we get sort of obsessed with like them, like some young player that's out there. Like I was almost tempted to be like, oh, could they like, could they pry Cam Reddish from the Hawks? Like, that'd be fun. But it's like, they could just get a vet, just get a 30 year old you know, that can shoot the yeah. ball. Like it's going to benefit all those young guys uh, eventually. And it's always good to have vets around. And I think a team like Cleveland could actually use a guy like that um, because everybody else that's going to be getting minutes for them other than Rubio, uh, and which I love. That's the reason I love them bringing in Rubio. But if they could get maybe another guy in that sort of age and experience bracket that could be a positive contributor, I think that would be huge for them. They're, they're going to be an exciting team this year. I'm, I, you know, I think they could maybe, they could probably sniff the play in. Yeah, I think they could. I think they could, but the east, the, the east is quite strong now. It is like, but it's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. Yeah, I, yeah, I maintain that point. between like between like four and like thirteen or four and twelve in the in in the east or probably either conference most year. It's a freaking crapshoot, man. Like just trying to yeah. predict who's going to come in tenth and who's going to come in sixth. It's like it, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, anything yeah. could happen as far as I'm concerned in that range. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. Charlotte, like if I told you Charlotte next year, they'll be the sixth seed. I'll be like, yeah, I could, yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. Actually, I could see that. Are we going to talk about them? uh, They were on my, they're in my top ten, but I didn't have them top five. I don't know about um, Nate. I did not have them top five. So that's wait, Brett. So who is number three on your list then? Because we had you had Memphis and Boston, and then who's number three for you? We are going to go with the Oklahoma City Thunder. (laughs) <laughs> oh there there yeah. freaking is i knew it was coming yes well i told you i told you guys before like this is you know there's going to be some favoritism here like they're they're definitely <laughs> my favorite or the most fun i think young core and that i can't help but factor that in no nah, man they're 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 going to be awesome i like I, I love what they're doing like they're emphasizing length and versatility ball handling playmaking forwards guys who can probably play three positions and uh obviously the centerpiece of their young core is Darius Baisley no I'm just kidding Shea Gildas Alexander (laughs) (laughs) who 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 was just absolutely phenomenal last season um he did have an injury and then that sort of got dragged out as they were trying to tank because they were when he was on the floor they actually had a pretty good record like in the games that Shea played like they weren't bad at all they weren't that far below 500 I don't think uh they weren't a bad Mm -hmm. team when he was on the floor for them uh, so obviously that sort of went against their their objective last season of tanking, and he essentially got shut down. And I don't even know that he played half the season. But when he was out there, he was awesome. He took a jump that I didn't expect him to take uh, that quickly, if ever. Uh, and, and he mm-hmm. sort of unlocked a, a vision of his. I tried to tell now. you about Shea. I tried to tell you about Shea. <laughs> you told me you were telling me about show the preseason. Yes, yes, because see, I that was, and I like Shea, but I just I always thought of him as as like this high floor relatively low ceiling you know probably never an all-star all nba guy but just a really nice player right but no you you were right though he has a lot more upside than i realized he 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 is one of the most complete 
scoring guards in the NBA. And I, I, I got a little bit of flack on Twitter for saying that on my account because somebody from the step in was like, you, I think you need to elaborate on that a little more. Otherwise, yeah, mm-hmm. I think almost everyone would agree with you. But like, yeah, I would need to give like a dissertation. I'm not going to fit that in like 125 Twitter characters or <laughs> whatever the hell it is. But like really his his only weakness in terms of half-court scoring is like he, he doesn't have the best floater. Yet meanwhile, you see all this footage come out during the offseason now of him like putting in massive work on, on, on like a floater in the paint. So it's like if he gets that down and that becomes a reliable weapon, then yeah, what is what is his weakness? He has one of the best pull-up jumpers from two or three amongst guards. Mm-hmm. He's improved his catch and shoot. Um, he can finish around the basket and w- at w- whatever angle you need him to finish at between his length, his, slipper, his slipperiness, like getting around people, he can draw fouls. Like, yeah, what, what can he do? In the NBA, yeah. it's really about how much of a better passer can he become to take yep. more advantage of some of those scoring mm-hmm. opportunities. Is he actually their point guard? I think that too, Brett, is where you and I had a little bit of a disagreement. I think he can get there. I think he's going to get there. You, I think, saw him more as like a, a like a two guard, right? You didn't necessarily see him as a lead guard. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's I, he can definitely play the lead guard. Um, but I, you know, that that's exactly what I was going to say when you're saying like, what are his weaknesses? That that would be it for me is like his passing. I watched just about every Thunder game last season, and that was the one thing is he misses guys a lot. And and I was pretty critical of him early in the season about that. But then I was like, I don't know, maybe he knows they're there, but it's like it's like Lou Dort standing in the corner for a three or like, you know what I mean? Like if you look at the players around him, I, like over time I was kind of like, eh, I don't blame him for getting what I perceive as tunnel vision at times because it's like that's still probably their best option because he was so far and away their best player uh so that's not it's not a major concern i do think he has that in him but that would be if if he's going to be a point guard going forward um just his passing and his vision i think would be a little bit of an area of concern i'm um, not not a major concern but he's certainly not elite in that regard in my opinion um but i, I wonder he also yeah he has to be better defensively too like he was he, yeah. his, his some of his ratings defensively are abysmal and like he he's, he needs to be better than that because he's more than capable of being better defensively he's yeah, one of those yeah. guys like donovan mitchell where you look at his physical tools with shea it's his length like he could be you know, based on that, you'd think he could be a very good defensive player. And he just he just hasn't been. Um, but again, man, it's just you're playing on such a bad team. Like I, I have such a hard time reading too much into anything other than just the positive flashes that I've seen. And and again, he's got upside that I didn't think he had. So would you say he's the most slippery player in the NBA? Yes. Yes. And I, I, I think honestly, we Jaron Jackson might be the second most yeah. that we already talked about him. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. Both of those guys, Jaron for sure among bigs. And I think I think Shea overall really might be. I just think that's the word I, I've always come back to when I'm talking about his game. It's Shea it's just awesome. does stuff on the basketball court that you can't explain it. Like if you try to put it in words, you you literally can. He was like that going back to high school. Um, it was why when, when we were rating guards in his draft class preseason, like freshman guards who I was most interested in seeing, he had some good names along with him, but I was the most interested to see how he would translate because I just, I watched his tape, his high school stuff. And I'm just like, there's something here. There is something really special here. I promise this guy is going to be a high draft pick. And then when Calipari gave him the keys in that second half of the year at Kentucky, and he put that team on his back. You're like, oh, snap, like this kid 100% is a lottery pick. The question is, how high can he climb and how good can he be in the NBA? And I think he's answered majority of the questions that people have had about him. It's just really, is he a one? 
Is he only a two? Is he a combo? Like, I think this year is where we really see him figure it out because I think he'll have a little bit better of chemistry with some of his teammates now that some of those guys have been there for a few years. So I think this is his best chance to prove to us what exactly he is moving forward. Yeah. And, and to his credit, I mean, that year with Chris Paul, he was playing, he was a two guard pretty much, you know, and, uh, and then when he took, when he became a point guard, um, he really showed, he took a leap. So it, like so mm-hmm. far, so good. They do have Theo Maladon, um, who showed some some things too as a rookie. He's got a little ways to go. I'm not sure he's like a starting level point guard, but um, I did like some of the stuff they did when those guys were on the court together. But uh, yeah, the thing with Shea, man, it's like I have a hard time describing it too. I've definitely tried to do it before, but like he sort of plays his own game. He's he's on his own wavelength. Like he plays at. He's one of those pace guys like Brandon Roy used to be like this. Like he could just he just, you know, there's no speeding him up. There's no slowing him down. It's just he will play at his own pace. He will get to his spots the way he wants to get there. And I think that's a very important thing. I think other guys will get caught up in sort of the frenetic like speed of the game sometimes. And Shea just is very strong mentally in that sense where he can just sort of keep it at his own pace. And I think that that's a lot of what we see with him where it's like, how is he doing that? Or, whoa, I didn't think that was possible in this situation or like oh yeah yep. why not um he, he does a lot of that he's a special player uh, and, and you really got to watch him to appreciate him i think as impressive as his numbers are jacob what are your yeah. thoughts on oklahoma city <laughs> before i absolutely unload on on brett a little bit for why i don't have them in my top five so i just to pile on just a a, an, a very fun shea gilge alexander stat with shea in the lineup last year they were 16 and 19 with Shea go. out of the lineup, they were six and thirty-one. <laughs> that is like yeah. that's that's like you go from like a, you know a 45 percent win team, like you know 30, 35, 37 wins, to being like the worst team ever without him in the lineup. That is like I very much doubt that that would hold out across like you know multiple years because that's like what you'd expect for like a LeBron kind of impact, but that just tells you what type of player he is. He did like, I, when Shea first came out, like as a rookie, I was like, Oh, he looks like he's pretty good. It's like, yeah, he's going to stick in this league. Then he got to OKC playing with Chris Paul and his turnover rate just plummeted as the two guard. And that, I don't think people understand just how important that is that you play with better passes and your mistakes go down. Like your turnovers go down that in very um very like considerably that didn't happen with someone like James Harden and Russell Westbrook playing together that didn't happen their turnover rate stayed about the same and then you look this year he becomes the lead guard again and his turnover rate doesn't really increase and his assist rate just flies up like it go it doubles it's really impressive to me like that versatility displayed just in the first 2 3 seasons that he's played i'm all in on Shea and his scoring exploding this year like he started like last year he was playing he averaged like 19 points a game about average efficiency this year he averages 24 points a game on like plus five plus six percent efficiency it's super impressive well that's that's the thing though jacob you talk about his his scoring level and where he got to like that's why i actually don't agree with that disparity that you read off record wise because if you take shea out of the lineup who is the go-to scorer at that point like they don't have another one that that's it (laughs) no yeah no i i i totally buy it like apart from and just apart from shay like i mean how 
we've gotten this far and Brett hasn't gushed about Darius Baisley yet. It's coming. Just tells you how it's good, coming. It, it just tells you how good Shea is, though. That like yeah. how good he was. And then you have like these wild cards. I think I call them. Like you mentioned, Theo Maladon, Poku, um, Josh Giddy this year. Who again? It looks like they're you know they're getting they're getting kind of weird with their draft picks. They're going for these kind of out of the box players. But Josh Giddy obviously has a lot of upside potential. <sighs> Ludor yeah. is an enigma. But he he is obviously a good NBA player, or at least he will stick in the league for a long time. And he's quite young. And Darius Baisley, like you look at what his potential is, and that and he could, you know, he could be better than Shea one day, which is saying a lot because I think Shea at this point is already playing like an all-star. And Darius Baisley, if he puts it together like he shows flashes of, then he could be better than that. And and then you add that with Sam Presti, who obviously he is all about kicking this can down the road. He is all like, if this team can't win this year, I'm going to trade my picks for future picks. I'm going to trade my older players for future picks. I'm going to keep kicking this can like he did. Like, I think he sees it kind of like OKC when he had like Durant, Harden and Russ. Like, I don't need to force this team to win. I don't need to go in on these players like when Shea and Baisley, and maybe like Giddy and Poku, when they're ready to win, they will just jump to like 50 wins. And I think that's how he's kind of looking at it. And I think that's probably going to allow OKC to keep developing these guys into the future. And I'm really, I'm really excited to it. I had them fifth. It's, it's tempting to say like, well, at some point they've got to start winning. And it's like, you know what? This was year one of their mm-hmm. rebuild because they were a yep. playoff team the year before when they had Chris yep. Paul and, and Gallinari. And so this was year one. It's like, yeah, we might this we might rock with this for a couple of years. This little rebuild, slowly but surely. But um, I, for what it's worth, I didn't like the giddy pick as as much as I do like their young core. I'm not going to say I'm out on him, but that is not who I would have taken. No, it's, it's not who I would have taken. I mean, either, just, so. I, I I probably would have taken Kuminga to be honest. But like, but there's there's a few guys like I, I would have rather had Shengun at that spot. Um, there's quite a few guys I would have rather had there. Um, oh, Shengun's coming up in this conversation, baby. Don't you worry. He's going. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I would hope so. Yeah, we got to have them on there too. But yeah, man, like, <laughs> look, let me just say, I'll just say my Baisley piece quick. Like, I think he's the most slept on player in the NBA right now because of his age. He just turned 21, like last month. Uh, and because of his upside and because of the things that he does well, there aren't guys that are six eight, six nine that are as athletic as he is that can handle the ball, that can dribble the way he does. His handle is so tight. And I don't know why nobody ever talks about it, but if you watch the kid play, like he does stuff that a lot of point guards can't do with the ball. And now he doesn't always make the best decisions. And I'd say he's more of a great dribbler than a great ball handler. Um, Because I think dribbling, I consider dribbling and ball handling to be different things. That's a whole other conversation. But if we're just talking about his dribbling uh, moves, I mean, he's he's really a a high level player in that regard. And look, man, like the shooting is he's a willing shooter. And I, I, I really think that's half the battle with these kids sometimes. Like he's willing to shoot. It's not always pretty. If you look at the total picture, it's ugly. He's been below 50% true shooting his first two seasons. His three point percentage was pretty ugly this year, Uh, but he has had games where he's shot it pretty well he's had moments where he shot it well but again he's willing to shoot it i know he's been working hard on that and i just saw some pictures of him recent pictures and he's a muscle watch guy now this was the muscle watch summer for darius Baisley. he looks fucking <laughs> jacked 
uh, that's going to go a long way with his strength because he just gets abused sometimes, gets bumped around. But, man, you've got a 21-year-old kid that can handle the ball, that can theoretically be a very good defensive player. He's got great length. He, he blocks shots. Uh, he moves his feet really well. I think he closes out better than just about anybody in the league. His closeouts are textbook if you watch him play, and that's a very valuable skill too where he can actually jump uh, and extend to contest a shot, and he always manages to do it without fouling. It's very impressive. It's kind of a small thing with him. And he produced last year. You know, He averaged 13-7 and seven, uh, with about a 3.5 per game actually was only the third player in NBA history, age 20 or younger, to do that, to put up those numbers. It's my favorite cherry-picked stat that I came <laughs> up with for him. Um, the other two are Luca and Lowry Markinen, actually. But uh, I just think people forget that he was a kid who did not play college basketball, didn't play in the G League or anything like that. He essentially came straight out of high school. He just had that internship year in between. Uh, and for him to come in and be a contributor in the playoffs in his rookie season and then come in as a 20-year-old and average 13 and 7 when he's being asked to do way too much uh, for this stage of his development. Uh, I thought he did admirably, and I think next year he's a guy that that's going to explode. I'm just going to say it. I mean, I think he's, you know, you could be looking at like 18 and 9 with increased efficiency and the guy that like everybody's talking about, maybe a most improved player candidate. Um, I don't know why people are sleeping on him. I don't know what people are seeing that I can tell I can tell you why people are sleeping on him. Is can, it, can, can I put out the fire a little bit? Can I can I give the statistical case, Jacob? Can I take that role from you for a second? I don't I don't <laughs> want this. I don't want the statistics, man. I want the eye test. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. What is, what is, I mean, I know the numbers are ugly. So so Brett, no. I'm not burying the kid. I, I I see some of the stuff on on film that I think you bring up all the time in the group when, when you talk about Darius Baisley. But when you look at statistical profile for this kid, he was at the 17th percentile in terms of total offense. So 19th percentile in spot ups, um, 29th as a ball handler in pick and rolls, 31st in isolations, 21st as the role man. His best number was 71st percentile off of cuts, which is great. I love to see him being active off the ball. But jump shots, 20th percentile um, on jumpers, 23rd percentile scoring around the basket, and the 18th percentile in catch and shoot. So offensively, he is an incredibly, incredibly raw player. And defensively, he wasn't as bad defensively. He was in the 38th percentile in terms of total defense and has some pretty decent numbers in there when you look at some of the percentages. Like I think more of his upside is tied to his defensive versatility than his offensive game. His offensive game, he has a ways to go. And I hope, Brett, I hope you're right about him making massive improvements this year because one of the guys on the list, when you talk about um, Darius Baisley and the position he plays, he's really like a 4-3. Apart from them just drafting Josh Giddy, they also took Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Um, they got him early in the second round. I got to be honest, I'm, I'm one of those guys, J JRE does not excite me but you have to always have him on your radar because he's a Villanova guy. And for whatever reason, Villanova players just work in the NBA. Yep, but yep. even in summer league, like he looked, he, he looked pretty good again, man. And he's just one of those guys. He knows how to play the game of basketball. He's not going to make mistakes. He can be a little bit of a playmaker in short rolls out, out, out of pick and roll, do some things in the paint. He's a post-up guy. His jump shot does not extend out the three-point range yet, but he can hit some mid-range jumpers. Like nothing about his game is sexy, but he's a really solid player who can also defend multiple positions as well. So I think like if there comes a point in the season, Brett, where Darius Baisley is still not living up to some of that potential that you're talking about, it would not shock me if Jeremiah Robinson Earl takes some of his playing time. 
or, or, or a nice chunk of his playing time. I'm sorry, man. I, I'm not saying it'll happen. It just wouldn't shock me. So between I, I me being a little committed. lower than you and Darius Baisley, and I don't think Poku is an NBA starter. I'm sorry. I don't see it with him. I don't think his frame's ever going to fill out the way that it needs to. I think he's a he's a role player at best. I, you and I agreed, Brett. I'm not sold on the Josh Giddy experiment. I think Trey Mann's a backup point guard. And then Robinson Earl, Aaron Wiggins are the other two guys I wrote down. Those guys are also pretty much bench players or like spot starters, I guess, best case for me. Like really – Gilgis Alexander and Dort are the only two that I'm like 100% sold on for OKC. So that's why we wrote, I wrote down a lot of names. I don't disagree with you about some of their upsides, but just when we talk about sure things doing this exercise, that's why I don't have them in my top five, but they're one of those higher honorable mentions along with Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously I see Baisley as like one of, if not the major breakout player this year in the NBA. I always thought it was going to be year three with him. And you're so, right, man. He, he's totally, he's super raw. There's no doubt about that uh, offensively, especially, but like, I just feel like it's to be expected, man. A kid that did not play in between high school and the NBA. And then in his second year as a 20 year old, like a young, you know, he was one of the youngest players in that class um, being asked to do, like, if you watch them, the stuff that was being asked of him should not have been asked of him and would not have been in any other situation. But especially when SGA went down, they're like, all right, 20-year-old Raw Baisley, just run the show, do whatever you want out there. He played a lot of point guard. Um, doing stuff he shouldn't, he had no business doing. And I think ultimately it'll be good for his development. It didn't like crush him. Like he he embraced it and I think improved because of it. But I just think that's a lot of what we're seeing in the numbers. It was kind of like Jordan Poole in Golden State, his rookie year, when he was being asked to do way too much because that team was just decimated by injuries and tanking. And um, and his numbers were hideous at the end of the season. But like we all knew he was much better than that. I think there's a little bit of that with Baisley. Um, so that's that's probably the big discrepancy here. Why they're in my top five is because I see him as as a as one of the most intriguing young prospects in the league. And then Dort, you know what you're getting an elite defensive player like was he all defense? He should have been um, if, if they were a better team, he would have been. And then in uh, Poku, man, like. I was out on him coming in just based on the tape I watched before the draft and his frame. Like I, I thought there was no way, um, but I think there's might be something there. I like, I, I definitely think there's potential. I don't know how it's all going to fit together. He's probably got to be a four and he's a long ways away. You know, he, he, we might not really see what he can do until next, next season. And then the, the other kid I like a lot is that, that they just uh, signed. I'm going to get his name wrong, but I think it's Vit Krejci. Uh, they drafted him in 2020. He's a kid out of the Czech Republic. I think he's still only 19, maybe uh, maybe 20 years old now. But he's a really interesting player. I was watching tape on him yesterday, actually. Uh, just like another playmaking 6'8 wing with athleticism. He can dribble it. Um, willing shooter, maybe not a great shooter, but just another really interesting player. And I think he could maybe get some minutes. He he blew out his ACL. And oh, he'll get minutes. If, if Poku could get as many minutes as he did <laughs> in his real no, year. I guess, like, I guess just yeah. this collection of like Krejci and Poku and – and, and um and Josh Giddy and Baisley like you have all these guys that are just and then even like SGA is long too and can can defend some wings and stuff so you, you just have all this versatility I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out and who's really going to rise to the top other than Baisley and Shea um it, it, you know I think Dort I think we kind of know what he is but like between those other few guys I think if even one of them hits you're looking at at an awesome young core and I had to put them in my top five this is 
this this is just like one of those teams. It's one of the two, along with Orlando. Like I said at the top, where I I don't think that eighty to eighty five percent of these guys are going to be there in like two years. Because I just think Sam Presti, given all the draft picks he has, now given the collection of young players that he has, like there will be not just one big trade. I think there will be multiple big trades that he'll be able to make. And I think a lot of these guys are going to be going out the door to, yeah. to other teams. And may, maybe fair. you disagree with that, Brett, but that's that's because I it's a fantastic collection of really interesting guys with length who in theory can dribble, pass, and shoot. It's a really interesting collection of guys. I just I don't know how all of them fit together and that's what I see happening. No. I don't know if Jacob, if you disagree with that point at all, either. No, no, I I agree. I think I think Presti is intentionally going for these kind of home run picks like Poku, like Josh Giddy, where yeah, the the potential floor for these guys is very very low. <laughs> yeah, non-existent. They're, they're out of the NBA. But the the upside for someone like Josh Giddy is you know a six eight kind of point guard, a kind of I don't I don't even know how to describe what he could be as a kind of as is like peak and the same with someone like poku like god knows they're kind of these like singular kind of talent potentially with someone like basley as well i think that there's so much room like you you think like imagine someone like jalen brown because jalen brown was similarly very raw very bad kind of coming out of the um coming into his first year imagine him putting it put in the situation someone like basley was put in last year like you said Brett the amount that was put on Baisley's shoulders there's a lot of guys that we now look on like a Siakam a Jalen Brown a Brandon Ingram who if we put them in those situations when they were 19 and 20 years old they would probably do as well or worse than a Baisley did last year so I'm willing to give someone like Baisley another couple years to develop and maybe he goes the other direction. Maybe he goes the uh, you know the Josh Jackson direction rather than that to eventually become like an all star and above level player. But I think OKC with OKC they are just going to be keep swinging home run until they get them. And I think whether eighty percent of these young players stay on this roster going forward, if twenty percent of them stick and are good players, this is still one of the best young cores to me. Even if it's just SGA, Baisley, and Lou Dort that end up long term, I still think with um, some of the other young players they have, this is still one of the best young cores. I, I do think they will make a trade, Nathan. Too to like, I, I agree with what, with what you said. Like, I, I do think that's the ultimate plan. I do think they're going to want to bring in another big piece to put next to SGA. So yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the ultimate plan, but I still think they're going to end up with at least a few of these guys going forward. And I like, I like the outlook for a few of them. There's no doubt about that. I think Shay is Shay's up there too. When we're talking about the best players in this conversation, like, like he's not that far oh, below yeah. Trey. I don't even know if I'd say he's below jaw at all. I think he might be better than jaw, but he's in that conversation. Like he, he's really good. And his season just went totally under the radar for, for all those reasons, you know, people just kind of didn't notice yeah. it, but, but he got, he was good. Brett, who was oh. your number four team? Was it um, was it Atlanta? Yeah, yeah, Atlanta was definitely in. Atlanta was probably my number three, but we already talked about them, so I'd say uh, OKC was my number four. So I think I we've worked more. through everybody's one through four. Or do you have one more, Jacob? No, I've hit on. I've actually now hit on all my five. So I'm gonna have to go to sixth last for yeah. So, yeah, so your five in, in order was, Jacob? My, my five in order was, number one, the Atlanta Hawks. 
Number two, the Pelicans. Number three, the Cavaliers. Number four, the Grizzly. And five, the OKC Thunder. Okay. Yeah, yep. that, I think yeah, yeah. that was about mine too. I'm trying to think now because like, obviously the Pels. I, I think mine would probably go Boston, uh, Pelicans, Atlanta, Memphis, OKC. That would probably be my five. So I so have I have the last team then. This is the, the this is my team. So I had Pelicans, Hawks, Celtics, Grizzlies in that order. My number five was the Houston Rockets. That that that's that's my number five. And listen, I know half of these guys haven't even played a minute in the NBA yet, but they absolutely killed the draft. The the this past draft. They nailed it. Jalen Green, um, Josh Christopher, Alper and Shangun, Usman Garuba, they bring in all of those guys. They have Kenyon Moore Jr. still, who's only 20 years old. Jay mm-hmm. Sean Tate and Christian Wood. I know they're technically outside of the age range for the exercise per, per Jacob, but they're still like right there at 25. And Tate's it's only going to be Tate's second year. And then you have the most interesting player that we can talk about, Kevin Porter Jr., who is still only 21 years old. And I think that Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green are going to form one of the most explosive backcourts in the entire NBA, and it may take a few years for them to properly gel. But I think Jalen Green has, I mean, he he wouldn't obviously make like my top five guys that we've talked about in this exercise today, but I think down the road, Jalen Green could be right behind Zion as like the, the second best player on this list. I am that high on his upside. I think I've completely flipped. I know that I didn't rank the draft picks this year. As you guys know, I have like a tier system. I had Cade and Jalen Green in the same tier as like potential MVP caliber prospects. And that tier one doesn't always have somebody in it. Each draft, you need to be really special to be in that tier. But I think that I've come out at this point far and ahead. Jalen Green is like my guy to me in this draft class. I really think he's going to be that MVP caliber player. And Kevin Porter Jr., I think, is also a stud. He was fourth on my list of the 10 guys from the last three drafts, so I think you're going to have, like, the quote-unquote better year next year. He was number four on that list on that pod I did with Chad. And just all of the young building blocks they have in place. I mean, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., Shen Goon, I think could all be potential star-level talents. I think that Christopher Garuba, Jay Sean Tate, and KJ Martin, those are all role player level talents and Christian Woods kind of like in the middle between like star and role player for me, if he is in Houston long-term, I mean, just putting him in that conversation that still gives Houston another really, really good building block. So that's why I think what they're building, given the situation they have with James Harden, all of the toxicity in that locker room, what they ended up doing to move on from that situation, retain somebody like Christian Wood who wanted to come play in Houston and then what they've done with all of their draft picks or, or some of them that they were able to accumulate and then ultimately make decisions with, like, I'm sorry, this was this was absolutely phenomenal team building this past offseason. I know that Houston's going to be a dog shit team this year. I get it. The whole nine yards are going to be towards the bottom of the league, but give them like two to three years. And I really think they're going to be competing for a higher spot in, in the Western Conference because I think Green... Kevin Porter Jr. are going to be one of the most dynamic backcourts. And, and I'm a believer. I know, Brett, you're a believer in Shangun as well. I think that Shangun really does have star-level potential. Not like superstar, but he, my cop for him before the draft was always like a Demonis Sabonis-type player. And I think that he can absolutely hit that ceiling. And if he does, now you're talking about it. It's a lot easier to see what Houston's building when you throw Tate in there as well. You have Garuba. You still have Wood. Like, they don't need that many more guys 
to fill out that roster as long as everyone keeps developing the way that I think they can. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Houston's young core. I, to me, see more certainty with their young core as opposed to like OKC and Cleveland. I know Detroit made my honorable mentions, Orlando, and then Minnesota, I snuck in there, although Towns and Russell are technically past this exercise. But those were like my 10 teams. I think Houston, to me, is right there at number five. And if we do this exercise like a year or two from now, I could absolutely see them jumping up this this list. Yeah, I'll tell you, the, the only reason I didn't have them in my top five, and you, you laid it out right at the beginning, is just that we haven't seen them most of these guys yep. play at the NBA level. That that was really the only thing that was holding me back. Cause like, I mean, I love Kevin Porter Jr. He's truly one of my favorite players. Like if I was really listing like my 10 favorite players, he'd definitely be in there. Absolutely love his game. And I mean, I think there's a non-zero chance that he could be better than Jalen Green long-term. He's only a couple years older. He technically um, could. Yeah, he could. There, there mean, is technically like, a chance. But I don't even think it's like completely insane to say. I'm not definitely not predicting that. But like I think they're almost in the same. I think he was like a top five talent in that draft. Um, yep. So as long Without as he question, sort of, he's going top five in a redraft. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If it was just based on talent alone with none of the other bullshit, like I think he would have been. He's, he's that good. Um. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to love with that team. There's no question. Um. Yeah. Kenny Martin Jr. Like low key could be. Uh, a really important piece for them going forward. I've loved everything I've seen from him. Um, he's been super impressive throughout his time there. Um, so, yeah, I- I'm excited about them too, man. I- absolutely. Uh, they would definitely be one of my honorable mentions. And you mentioned Minnesota. Like, yeah, Kat and D'Lo have aged out of this, but shit, they've still got Ant-Man and J- Jaden McDaniels. Like, um, So just those two alone right there is like, that's that's pretty, probably deserves an honorable mention. And the other, the other honorable mention, we haven't mentioned Charlotte, have we? Not that we need, we don't need to get into them because they weren't in any of our top fives. But uh, I definitely think they just deserve a, a shout out between between Lamelo and and Book Knight and Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, Kai Jones. Like they've got some really interesting pieces there as well. Um, yeah, Houston. Just like I, I was tempted to put them in mind. I'm super excited about them, but uh, I just need to see. I just need to see it. And that's not to say I don't believe in Shangun or Jalen Green. I do. Um, but that's just why I had a hard time putting them putting them on there. Although OKC is a lot of the same question marks, to be fair. Yeah, Charlotte, I mean, the ball and bridges, to to me, those are like the certainties that I have out of their quote-unquote young core. I'm not yep. as sold on some of the other guys, although I do like the book night pick. I'm not as sold on Kai Jones and JT Thor. I think those are absolutely project picks. But yeah, yeah. just those two alone, I mean, LaMelo Ball, Shit, yeah. If we were ranking players doing this exercise, I mean, Lamelo Ball would be right up there. there with everybody else. So, absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I had um, Houston in that kind of six, seven to ten range with teams like Golden State Warriors, the Detroit Pistons, um, Orlando Magic, that kind of thing. These teams where there's a lot of unknowns, and it like you like you know you mentioned right at the start, Nay, it comes down to the fact that Green, Garuba, Shangun, these guys. We have no idea what they're gonna be for sure. Like, like those are those are all names I've heard since the start of this process. I mean, we have the the Ennis twins in our group. They they have been high on Garuba for like eighteen months now. I, I knew <laughs> I knew this man Garuba's name before like ninety percent of this draft, just because they were going like I would take him like fifth. I would take him sixth in this draft. Which, hey, if if that comes out to be true, then Houston have you know nailed this. And like He's you say, nice player. Yeah, and if and if Jalen Green is the better player out of him and Cade, then there's no doubt Houston are going to be easily top five in this discussion next year, the year after. No doubt, like Mini Mart is an awesome. Like he comes in, he comes in as a he real. He is amazing. 
he's a three and D player already, like a good three and D player at twenty years shot's old. Shots coming along too. Shots yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a wing size player block as many shots as as Kmart Jr. Remember yeah. KJ McDaniels? He's almost like that, like what what we wanted KJ McDaniels to turn into, like yep. just that, that freak athlete from that position. But yeah, he, I like him better for sure. And Garuba, um, I mean, Garuba is one of the three or four best defensive talents that I think we've we've talked about on this list. So yeah, like, yeah. Just I know we're about to wrap this thing up probably, but like. Can I just say, like, there's a lot of young talent in the NBA. I don't mean to state the obvious, but, like, we didn't even talk about Detroit. Like, I feel like Detroit has to be in this conversation. But, like, and the same with same with Charlotte and, and, you know, Cleveland barely made it for some of us. Like, it's just crazy. Like, when, you know, when I was just going down the list of NBA teams last night, sort of in preparation for this, like, there's at least like 10, even if we're going like age 24 or younger, even younger than 24, there's like 10 teams that are all in the mix for this. Like, and, and then if you extend it to like 24, 25, it's half the league, you know, half the league are kind of veteran teams. Half the team, half the league is really carried by these young, you know, 24, 25 and under guys. Um, it's just crazy how much young talent there is in the league right now. There's no way it's ever been this high of a level. And I think just having this conversation sort of speaks to that like Detroit we didn't even talk about them how is that possible when you talk about you know Cade Cunningham and 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 Sadiq Bey and Killian Hayes and um you know and, and Beef Stew and all these guys like Josh I mean, Jackson's still only 24 years old saving the, that's crazy. They, they brought in Hamadou Diallo who's still only 23 years old Frank like yeah Jackson, they have a Frank Jackson's still young Frank Jackson, Frank Jackson yep. still young. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they do they do they belong in this conversation I feel bad we didn't talk about them but it's just I just think that speaks to the depth of uh of young talent in the NBA if there was ever a year to have NBA league pass this is this is oh, the year yeah. you, you need to watch every 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 team has a reason to watch them we it's didn't crazy. talk about Orlando like I mean Yes, Orlando have so many like top ten picks. They've they've just brought on. They are the island of misfit toys. They are just saying, <laughs> give us your Wendell Carter Juniors, your Markel Fultzes, your RJ Hamptons. And they yeah. they go like <laughs> nine deep in like real potential like high level NBA players in the future. We just have to see how they develop. But also, all of those guys could wash out going forward so it's difficult with the team we like know Orlando. i think Suggs is a sure thing and then you got jonathan isaac coming back chumo kiki is i think a sure thing at least as like a good role player um that they're they're very deep too but again they're another one of those teams like you guys said like they're most of those guys probably won't be there we don't know how it's going to shake out we haven't really i seen i, I just i guys. wanted to avoid talking about cole anthony i wanted to hide in my foxhole <laughs> for, for that one a little bit after this summer it? league i wanted to hide a little it was bit, rough but. it was rough man I'm, i feel you <laughs> still yeah. even even teams like that wouldn't make the top 10 like the Spurs have like Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, who looks great. Devin Vassell, they have like a nice Dejounte, yeah, yeah. Dejounte Murray. The, the Toronto Raptors with Scotty Barnes, OG Precious, Malachi Flynn. Like, yep. That's a nice little core, and then they're not nice. close to the top. They're not close to the top ten though. Realistically, nope. when you compare them to like a Detroit or the Charlotte Hornets or Houston <laughs> or whatever, like it's yeah, it's crazy. Sacramento have Fox and Halliburton and Davion Mitchell, who you know naturally obviously took the headlines in um summer league that's a that's a three-headed dragon in the backcourt yeah, yeah. And, and, and they're not they're not going to get a look in for the top 10 cause they two of those guys might be all stars one year yeah and like we're not even talking about them right now it's it's so the, deep. Le- the league's in good hands there's no doubt about that it's awesome such an exciting time to be a fan and, and be talking about the league on podcasts and stuff i i love it oh yeah oh yeah yeah so well, 
uh, did we did we cover everything? I think we did. Yeah, we, we, we got everything for sure. And and this was this is one hell of a podcast. This was a deep podcast. <laughs> and I'm glad that um, I could be a part of this. And I'm, I'm excited. I want to talk more NBA with you boys this year. Hopefully this merger let, lets that happen. But I want yeah, to I want to I want to talk stuff. more. I want to talk more scouting. So that, it works out. <laughs> I really I really appreciate people like you, Nathan, that, that do this year round, you know, that, that really dive in deep. Like I can learn so much because like that's I'm definitely I love keeping an eye on prospects and doing a little scouting where I can, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a blind spot for me in a way. Like there's a lot of guys I just haven't seen or just don't know about and, and being able to listen to your podcast and, and read your stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, Oh, okay. That's a guy I'm going to go check out like Shangun. Like I didn't know anything about him, but you, you put me onto him and then I was able to dive in a little bit by myself and find out that I really like him. So it's just, it's a very valuable thing that you offer, man, especially for people like myself that are just, just balls deep in the NBA. And like, it's, it's just, <laughs> I only have so much time. I, you know, I don't have time to kind of find these guys on my own. So for you to sort of, to, to put me onto them is, is great, man. And hey, I hope to hope to do more in that area and look forward to doing a lot of NBA stuff with you and, and more crossovers like this, man. Cause yes, it's, sir. Always, it's always a lot of yeah. fun. It really is. And, and we're definitely excited to be, to be teaming up, man. Yeah, it was so good when, when, cause like Steve said, he, um, he spoke, he, he like came to us. He was like, boys, what about teaming up with Nate at draft deeper? And I was straight away. I was like, fuck yeah. Nate has such good content. He works so hard. That's perfect. I'm so I'm all in and I'm so glad we were finally able to make it official, get it out there and start the work, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, we, we, we still got things to figure out, but I'm, I'm all for figuring things out on the technical side. My producer, Kevin, is one of the best people that I know, and he'll be able to help out with whatever we need on that front as well. So I'm excited. And I know that I will be having you boys on on, on my show. Very soon, I'm bringing back 30 questions for 30 NBA teams. I'm, I'm bringing it back. And we made it through that slog last year. And I, I'm excited to be able to do that podcast series again with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Man. Likewise. Let's go. Well, I guess uh, that's going to do it for us today. That was that was a super fun podcast. Um, I don't did Steve just kind of like Irish goodbye. Um, I, we never one hundred percent did. Yeah, <laughs> we, no, we he, never really said it, but Steve had to leave. He had he had a lot going on today, so he was he was here for the beginning, and he he dipped somewhere in there. Um, but we'll have him back on next time, of course. But thank you guys so much for doing this. That was that was a ton of fun as always, and I'll try to get this out uh, as quickly as possible. Thanks everybody for listening. Catch you next time.